Well, for the last eight weeks, we've been making our way through various texts in the book of 1 John, and the aim of this study has been to talk about the matter of assurance. The purpose of talking about assurance, to know what you believe, is so that you might be able to have confidence as you endure, meaning that there's all sorts of things that come our way, trials, temptations, things that are inordinately challenging or discouraging, and no matter where the Lord finds you today, this text in 1 John chapter 5, and for that matter, all of the book of 1 John are incredibly helpful. They show us how to incorporate what we know to be true, and then how to take that and to live in and through it. We started this series, hard to believe, on Easter Sunday, as we looked at 1 John 5 verse 13, Where John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And we've looked at all sorts of things, like what does it mean to belong? What's the role of confession and forgiveness? How to be sure that our belief works? How do we not love the wrong things? How to understand how salvation transforms you? And then last week, the priority of loving others. Today we're drawing this series to a close, and my aim is to try and help you understand what does it mean to be an overcomer? Now some of you have asked, now that we're done with 1 John, what happens next? Here's just a quick overview. Next Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, our pastoral residents will be preaching first and third service. Our candidate for student ministries will be preaching in the second service. And then we'll launch into a nine-week study over the summer on the subject of God's attributes. So what does it mean that God is triune and holy and just and good and merciful? And we're going to look at a number of those key attributes from some very important texts in the scriptures. We'll also have some books available for you to read over the summer that while you're vacationing and enjoying that time with family or just a little bit of a lighter schedule, want to put some books in your hands, like A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. If you've not read that book, that's a a must-read for every follower of Jesus. We'll have some other resources as well. So we just want this summer to be a useful time as you think about the power of what your God is like. Today I want to draw your attention to a final thought from 1 John. There's one thought that I want just to sort of leave you with, and I hope that this becomes perhaps a little bit like a a motto or a way to summarize what does it mean to be a Christian. And if you're here today and not yet a Christian, I hope that this message will help you understand how does understanding who you are as a Christian translate into specific actions that reflect what we'll call an identity. So here's the central thing we're going to talk about this morning, that Christians are overcomers who live by obedience and belief, that Christians, they are something. There's there's an identity connected to who they are, and that the effect of that identity is that they live in a particular way, and that life is marked by two consistent things in their life, which is obedience and belief. And I don't care if you're four years old or if you're 94 years old, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, it involves understanding that identity and then essentially pursuing obedience and belief. Obedience and belief. To be an overcomer 
means that the Christian's identity has been fundamentally altered. If you're here today not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that you trust in something for your identity. Your identity is informed by what things you believe define you as a person, what makes you valuable, what makes you feel fulfilled. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible says that sin is placing your confidence in anything other than God for that identity. It could be your kids, your physical appearance, your job, could be your achievements. The problem is those good things become God things and they become our sinful identity. And what you're gonna see here is that the identity of a Christian is rooted entirely in the finished work of Christ, which is why Christians are called overcomers. And this mindset, being an overcomer, helps us to make our way through the various challenges of life. There are certain statements in life that, at least in my experience, have become helpful and defining. As it relates to my family, some of you who have been around here for a while will know that I try to order my life, my priorities, my goals, my schedule around four essential priorities. I want to be God's kind of person, God's kind of partner, God's kind of parent, God's kind of pastor in that order. And those were given to us in our premarital counseling and have served to inform every season of life. Those, that prioritization just follows us with our kids. We're young, we're right now, and we're launching children, and I trust even when I, in retirement age. I remember in 1995, as we were anticipating the birth of our twins in the next year, the, the life was stressful. A senior pastor was, was leaving. Our future was incredibly uncertain. And I remember one of those kind of anxious moments, sitting in bed, talking with my wife about our future, and she asked, how are we going to do this? My answer is, you know, honey, I don't know how it's all gonna turn out, but what I do know is that we're gonna be God's kind of person, God's kind of partner, God's kind of parent, God's kind of pastor, that doesn't change. And, and though that sort of defining life motto was helpful when the storms of life were sort of swirling around us. Well, the thing I want you to think about this morning is the fact that no matter what it is that's happening in your life, if you're a Christian, God calls you an overcomer and he invites you to live by obedience and belief. No matter what's taking place in your life, he calls you to be an overcomer, to live out that identity and to live it out in practical ways. So this morning what I wanna do is unpack a definition of that word overcomer, particularly in verses four and five, and then help you understand how obedience and belief relate to that definition. So first, what does it mean to be an overcomer? I wanna direct your attention first to verses four and five. We're gonna use this as the, the, the central thought, and then I'll build out the rest of the text around it. Verse four, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, hopefully you've seen 
over and over that John is rather cyclical in how he communicates. He's not linear like the Apostle Paul is in many of his letters. Rather, John takes a singular idea and he repeats it, not only throughout the whole book, but also in this particular text. And the word overcome is used three times in order to help us understand what it means. I'll start with the definition. The Greek word for overcome essentially means to win a victory over someone. It means to be considered a conqueror. It means that you, you won, that you did it. If you're an athlete, think of it like you win a championship game complete with the trophy, the banner that hangs in the gymnasium, the retired jersey, and the ring. If you went to a graduation ceremony recently, it's the moving of the tassel, it's the designation with honor based upon your GPA or just the relief that you graduated. <laughs> uh, if you're a history buff, it's the parade down Fifth Avenue after World War II in 1946. For the Christian, to be an overcomer means that there's something about us now that is connected to the victory of Christ. That his victory over sin and death has an effect on those who trust in him. Let me give you two verses to show you this. Jesus said this in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Notice, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. For some of you, that's the whole reason why you came to church today was just to hear that singular verse. Because if you've come today, it feels like you're in the middle of tribulation, you feel like life has fallen apart, and you need to be reminded, Jesus said, he has overcome the world. Here's the second one. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. It's the same word for overcome. He is the overcomer who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the point of the word overcome or overcomer is that Christians are considered to be victorious. They, they share in the finished work of Jesus. They share in his victory. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the followers of his now share in his victory over sin and death. What was his conquering now becomes our conquering. His victory becomes our victory when a person puts their trust in him. And so we share in the conqueror status of Christ. The life and victory then of Jesus lives out in the life and victory of those who follow him. Go over to chapter four and look at verse four. Here we see the word used in another way. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. What's the them? Well, the them is the spirit of the Antichrist that is in the world. So this, there's this, this, this anti-God spirit that exists in the world in which we live. Did you feel it last week? Another school shooting. Crime and difficulties happening. Marriages that have blown apart. Temptations that have come your way. 
maybe disappointing news about a friend or a loved one, a child who still is, just doesn't seem to be listening. That's the, the spirit of the brokenness of the world. And John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. And notice what he says next. In fact, why don't we read this out loud together? Look at the next phrase, beginning with the word for. What does it say? Read it out loud. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is that true? That's true. And it's helpful to be reminded, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why? Because it feels often as though the weight of the world, the weight of my own sinfulness, the brokenness that is around me can feel so overwhelming that we begin to wonder, is the resurrected Christ really in control? And the Bible unequivocally answers yes. So to be an overcomer means that a Christian understands the reality of who he or she is in light of who Jesus is. To be an overcomer means to believe what the Bible says about you. To be an overcomer means that you believe that through Christ you are victorious, that his victory over temptation and sin and death can be now granted to you. So there's three dynamics related to this overcomer status that we find in verses four and five. The first one is this, for everyone who has been born of God, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So we see this first characteristic underneath the banner of what it means to be an overcomer, that overcomers are those who have been born again. This is the eighth and final time that John talks about being born again, and it refers to this supernatural change that takes place in the life of a believer when that person puts their faith in Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it means you believed in Jesus, and as a result of that belief, you were born again. It's the miracle of the new birth. And that miracle of the new birth results in the continual supernatural power that God gives to overcome the destructive elements of the world. Here's the problem. Many of you know this to be true, but the last week you've lived like it's not true. You know that you've been born again. You know that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit resides within you, and yet you have given sin way too much control, temptation way too much authority. You've given the, the devil way too many props in your life when the reality is you are born again. You're a different person. You are an overcomer. And the problem is that we don't often see the connection between the new birth and what it means to practically be an overcomer. Verse four, everyone who has been born of God overcomes. The idea isn't in the past, it's a present participle. It means a, an ongoing, overcoming reality. In the same way, like last week I said that as wetness is to water, so love is to the very character of God. Well, so here, in the same way that love is to God, so being an overcomer is to those who have been born of God. It is by the very nature who they are. And the implications of this are sweeping. Let me show you this in your Bible. Go to Galatians chapter five and verse 19. Galatians five and verse 19. This is a list of things that should not characterize those, that it cannot characterize those who have been born again. And Paul says in verse 
19, now the works of the flesh are evident, and here they are, and he goes through a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then Paul says this, I warn you as I have warned you before. What does he say? That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they've been born again. They're overcomers. They can't live consistently in those things. Doesn't mean that believers never fall into that, they never struggle with those things. Of course it means that believers are going to occasionally sin and fall into those sin issues. But what Paul is saying is this, that the pattern of their life doesn't fit with what we find in that, those three verses. And why? Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to be born again means that you have a crucified flesh. It means that by definition you are an overcomer. You are overcoming. To be born again is to overcome. Listen, more than some date in the front of your Bible, more than some decision that you made in the past, you need to think through if you really are an overcomer. I can show you in the book of Revelation at, after each letter that John writes to the various churches. He says to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers. He repeats it in every single letter. And the reason is, is because the one who conquers, it's the same word, it's overcomer. The one who conquers and the overcomer are one and the same. That endurance and perseverance is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because God has so radically altered and changed you that you look at everything in life through a completely different lens. To be born again means that you've crucified the flesh. To be born again means that you're an overcomer. And the question I would ask you, is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a new person? Or maybe in the last week you've believed the lies of the flesh, believed the lies of the devil, believed the lies of the world. You may have even come to a place that you actually believe you are your sin. You see, sin has a degrading effect that first goes after our wants and it perverts our wants and then it perverts our actions and then it gets down so deep and you know you're in trouble really big trouble when sin begins to change how you think about who you even are. The beautiful thing about what Jesus does is he changes you from the bottom up. He changes who you are, he changes what you do, and changes what you desire. He changes all of you. Back to 1 John 5. Not only does it mean that we're born again, but it also means that there's something related to our faith. And, and by this, John doesn't mean faith like faith that we believe. Like when Paul talks about faith, John is talking here not about the faith that we would place our confidence in something, not like that. Rather, he means faith as the substance of what we believe. So you can think of it like, not I have faith, but rather I believe in the Christian faith. That, that's the way that he means it. 
He says here, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So he's talking here about the substance of what is believed. So what I'm telling you right now, what we learn about as we gather together on the Lord's Day is not just simply things to be believed, they are truths that serve to guide us as we navigate the complex problems of the world. It is the substance of what we believe, or as Jude says, the, the, the faith once delivered, or as Paul says in Colossians 2, that we're to be built up in him, established in the faith. It is this truth deposit that we believe. It is the truth that Jesus died for sinners. That's the truth that overcomes the world. It is the truth of the gospel, that I'm not my own. I was bought with a price, therefore I can glorify God in my body. That truth is what then helps me to navigate the reality of the world in which I live, such that what we sing about, what we talk about, what we write about when it comes to the faith has the power to overcome the world. So the key to overcoming is understanding that overcoming is linked to a body of truth of what we believe. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And then third, he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So to be an overcomer means that you're born again, means that there's a body of truth that you believed in, and finally, it means that you are trusting in Jesus. You see, all the talk about being an overcomer almost would make it sound as if we're trying to do that in our own strength, but nothing could be further from the truth. And John aims to take this concept and make it very personal and very practical through the use of this question in verse five. Who is it that overcomes the world? The answer is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So everything in our lives in the past, everything related to our future, and everything related to our present is entirely based upon our belief and our love for this one named Jesus. Overcoming began in the past because of what Jesus did. Overcoming will ultimately be completed by Jesus in the future, but overcoming is lived out right now because of who Jesus is. And the idea is that believing in Jesus takes place because Jesus doesn't let go of you and helps you to persevere all the way to the end. We're trusting in the one who caused us to be born again. So I don't know where the Lord finds you today or where you're at in terms of what your last week or month has been, but you need to know that when you wrap your arms around Jesus, way before you ever wrapped your arms around him, he wrapped his arms around you. One of the griefs of being an older parent is the fact that gone are the days when I would come home and my kids would, would run, you know, dad's home, pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter feet, and they come and jump up into my arms. If that happened today, it'd be dangerous and awkward. <laughs> but I remember when my kids were little, I'd get down and they'd come in and they'd, they'd grab around my waist or my, my, my chest and they'd be hugging me, oh dad, I did. And before they ever grabbed a hold of me, my arms were already around them. And sometimes they hugged and they were done, and I wasn't done, and I held them. And the idea is that as you've trusted in Christ, you need to know you didn't trust alone. And your hope of enduring and your hope of making it to the end is not in your ability to sort of grit your way through trials or challenges, but instead to be reminded that you're an overcomer because the overcomer overcame everything within you and is holding you even today. 
So here's my question, is that how you think about yourself? Do you battle sin this way? Do you look at the future through this lens? Do you need to be reminded today that you are in Christ, a person who has overcome the world? There's some of you that you are given sin and the devil and your flesh way, way, way too much authority over yourself. John says, be sure that you overcome. Now, in the verses before and after, he talks about the calling then to obey and believe. And what I want you to understand is once you grab a hold of this identity, in terms of who you are, then God simply calls you to take two steps throughout your entire life, which is obey and believe, obey and believe. So if you find yourself and you're like, I don't know how we're gonna make it. Well, it, you make it by understanding who you are in Christ and then obeying and believing, obeying and believing. You wake up in the morning and you do it over and over and over every day. I need to obey and believe, obey and believe, obey and believe. John starts and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So here we see his emphasis again on the matter of obedience. The interconnectedness between who you are and what you do. Loving the Father and loving others is a critical part of what it means to be those who have overcome the world. Now verse two, honestly, is a, is a bit odd. Let's read it, I'll show you. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So we know that we love his children when we love God and obey his commandments. It almost would seem like John should reverse that. We know we love God and we obey his commandments when we love one another. But no, he says we, we love one another, we know that we love one another when we love God and obey his commandments. Why would he say it this way? Well, if, if you're a parent, or if you have a close relationship as a friend with somebody else who's disobedient and their life is sort of off the rails, you know the kind of grief that it causes you. And what John is essentially saying here is that your obedience in terms of love for God and obedience to his commands has a direct relationship to how you relate to other people who are part of the body of Christ. In other words, if I could be so bold, what you do affects me. What you do affects this body. What you do affects one another. And John says, if you love one another, then you're gonna love God and obey his commandments because we are all in this thing together. And then he continues, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So here's another way that John looks at the obedience dynamic. He says that the commandments are not burdensome. What does that mean? He's saying that when you understand who you are, when the overcoming reality of verses four and five transforms your identity, then the commands of God are not crushing or unreasonable. They're not viewed as oppressive, but rather these are now the ways in which we respond out of love for all of what God has done for us. These commands become the means of us to, in effect, say to God how grateful we are for all he has done for us. So you see, when love is the motivator, obedience and service are a delight, not drudgery. 
I'll compare this to a vacuum. My wife has been married to me now this summer 25 years, loves a vacuumed living room. It makes her really happy. I could care zero amount about a vacuumed living room. Doesn't, doesn't get me excited, don't notice it, wouldn't say a thing, be like, awesome. I mean, I, but she, on the other hand, she loves it. So I now love vacuuming. <laughs> I do. I vacuum, I'm happy, not because I love vacuuming, because I like the effect of, in the room, but I love her reaction when she comes in the room. She comes in, she's like, oh, and I love that. I love that sound. So I'm vacuuming, wait for it, wait for it. Oh, there it is, there it is. So as I'm vacuuming, I'm thinking about, I can't wait for the, oh, there it is, I love that. So out of the love for the, oh, I get on that vacuum and I vacuum the house because I love the sound of my wife's happiness. You need to know, friends, that when love defines your relationship with another, doing things for that person out of love becomes the normative action for that relationship. So, too, it is with God. Morality validates your theology. What you do validates what you really believe. Finally, verses 6 to 12. We need to move quickly through this. Our time is short. John identifies that not only are we to obey, but we're also supposed to believe. And so he talks about the testimony here, the testimony concerning the Son of God. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He's talking about the the testimony of Jesus, the, the, the evidence of who he was. He says, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, this is one of the more complicated passages in all of 1 John. But just think a moment. What were the moments in Jesus' life, two of them, that represented water mainly and represented blood mainly? The two bookends of Jesus' life, water would be his baptism, where in that moment, God the Father says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And in regards to blood, the moment on the cross, and think of the testimony of the centurion that said, surely this was the Son of God. So we have the bookends of Jesus' life, both water and blood, that give evidence that he really is the Son of God. That's what I think John is saying. And this testimony about who Jesus is, fully man, baptism, Son of God, crucifixion, testify to the validity of what his life was all about. He then says the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Verse seven, for these are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. And if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. So he says if you believe people, then surely you ought to believe the testimony of God by virtue of both his baptism and his crucifixion and the role of the Holy Spirit in confirming that the word is true. He goes on and says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. 
So he's talking about the, the, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit where you heard the word and you believed. You heard and you believed. You heard and you believed. And then he says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So his point is simply this. Believers are marked by believing. I know that seems repetitive, but it bears repeating. Believers are marked by believing. What does it mean? It means that those who overcome are not only marked by obedience, but they're also marked by this deep-seated commitment that I believe the gospel. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe the scriptures are true. I believe that sin and death and hell have been conquered. I believe that while the devil is free, he will not always be free. I believe that everything in life works out for God's good pleasure and his purposes, and nothing formed against me will stand. I believe that one day every grave will open and every body of the resurrection will be resurrected to the glory of God. I believe that God has fixed the end from the beginning. He knows everything that's gonna happen in my lifetime, and nothing, 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 nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing, no height, nor depth, nor any creature. This is what I believe. And so it means this week, Wednesday, when I gather to mourn the loss of our dear sister, Elphega Martin, who fought the good fight, who finished her race, who battled valiantly through cancer, I will stand in front of a congregation and say, this is hard. I'm tired of death. I'm weary of cancer. I'm sick of losing people, but this I know, this is hard, and this is not over. There is coming a day when Jesus will return and every wrong will be made right. The devil and all those who are his minions will be cast into the lake of fire forever, and Jesus will reign on earth, and the glory of God will cover the earth like the water covers the sea. And yet I live in a broken world, and so do you, and I see what happens in our culture, I see what goes on inside my own heart, and I get weary and discouraged, and on those days, I need a text like this that reminds me I am an overcomer and who walks by obedience and belief. Jesus paid it all, and therefore I can stand in the power of his resurrection and in, his hope, in the hope of everlasting life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So where does God find you today? You're struggling with a doubting heart? Did you lose the battle with temptations last week? you fearful of some trial that awaits you in the future or maybe you're in the middle of some point of difficulty? Can I just remind you In fact, a song that we're going to sing as we close, in Christ alone my hope is found. He, he is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this is my solid ground, firm to the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand, why? because I'm an overcomer, because Jesus overcame it all. And that's, dear friends, how you endure all the way to the end. Oh God, help us to be 
named among those who finished to the very end, whose testimony and lives are marked by obedience and belief. Help us to believe again today. And grant us, God, I pray, the strength by your spirit to endure as we are assured. Oh, Lord, give us grace. Give us hope. And give us strength, we pray. In the name of Christ, our overcomer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.